we will be continuing on our Exodus series. Who has been reading the Exodus book since we started the series? Amazing. Whoa. Excellent. <clears throat> so we continue from chapter 12 this morning. But before I start, I, I just wondered, is there anyone that's been on the journey before and you got kids at the back? <laughs> Particularly if it is a fairly long distance that you're traveling. All you hear is, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? They just cannot wait to get there. I mean, myself and Tita and the the family, we went over the New Year period, we went to see my sister in London to spend some time there. And the minute we told the kids that we'll be traveling to London, the excitement was so, so much. They just couldn't wait for the day to come. When is it going to be? When is it going to be? And when the day finally arrived, all they wanted to do was to get teleported straight to London. They didn't want the journey. They just wanted to get there. They couldn't wait to see their cousins and, and play and all they're going to do. And we can be like that too sometimes, particularly in our Christian journey. So what we'll be looking at today is actually what this book is about. Exodus, the journey. You know, so we will be opening up to Exodus chapter 12. We'll be reading from verse 31 to 51. So if you have your Bibles with you, or your iPads or your phones, you can read along. But just so you know, there will be, at my back there on the screen as well, will be there if you want to read along. It's quite a bit of reading. And just to warn you ahead of time, there's a lot of scriptures I'll be going through as well. So, <laughs> get ready. So, I'll read. It says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will die. We will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There, there were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, the baked loaves of unleavened bread, the dough was without yeast, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's division left Egypt. Because the Lord kept a vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on the night, all the Israelites are to keep a vigil for, to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the past of a meal. No foreigners may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. 
for a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate, must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the meals in his house circumcised, then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. But the Lord bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> so last week, we heard that our God performed the most, I believe, the most important plague out of the ten plagues that he performed in, in the land of Egypt. There was a sign. It was a sign and it was a wonder to Pharaoh and his officials, to the Egyptians as well as the Israelites. By this wondrous act, Pharaoh had no choice but to let the Israelites go. And this is where we're picking up from today. So, what had just happened? The, Israel, the children of Israel have just been delivered. Now, I said that lightly, but I'm sure they would have been full of excitement. They have just been delivered from the bondage of slavery, delivered from forced labor, and from the hands of the oppressor, Pharaoh and his officials. But it's also good to note that apart from that delivery, the deliverance that God had just performed, the same issue was also addressed with that last plague. Because the Egyptians were mistreating the Israelites, there were a lot of sins, and the Israelites themselves were committing sins. They're human. So God addressed quite a lot with that last plague. And they have just been passed over. There has been a swap, a substitute. All the male in the land of the Egyptians, the firstborn, died. But they were passed over. So they were now on this journey, and there was a lot of excitement. And apart from them being excited, I believe they were also apprehensive, and they were curious as well. So three things probably, I think, would have been going on at the back of their mind as they were leaving Egypt. Excited. Why are they excited? <clears throat> they would have heard stories. Stories told to them by their forefathers. But their fathers, their parents passed down from generation about how God had met with their forefather Abraham and he has made a covenant with him and told him that his descendants were going to get be, slaves, be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And this is Genesis 15 verse 13. That they will be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and after that he will come to their rescue. And a lot of them would have been thinking, mm, is it going to happen? Because we have to remember, 400 years is a long, long time. 
People, they would have been thinking among themselves, is it ever going to happen? We keep hearing this story, and then they, they probably gather themselves, like they do sometimes in Africa. They gather kids around and tell them stories of what happened a long time ago. And they would probably would have been gathering and telling the stories. But right now, they've just seen that, that story come to pass in their life. They have witnessed all that has been said to them about what God was coming to do. And so there was a lot of excitement in the air. So this is true. We are, finally, we're freed. We've been delivered. We've, with all of this that the Egyptians were doing to us, we can go and be a nation of our own. But apart from the excitement as well, I'm sure they would have been apprehensive because they were unsure where they were going. Even though they knew the God who had promised their father Abraham, had just revealed himself to this guy called Moses. And he is the one leading us. God is leading us through this Moses. And they've also seen the ten miraculous plagues by which God has just delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians and, and Pharaoh. But we have to remember that they've been under oppression for 400 years. They were not the same Israelite that went into Egypt. So their faith in God would have dwindled. The God, they've heard stories, and all of that had been passed down. But their mindset, too, would have, would have changed, because oppression can do a lot to anybody. So they, would have, so they were not too sure, so they were a little bit apprehensive about this journey. This God, where is this guy going to lead us to? Where is this guy Moses leading us? And I must say, is the reason why, if we read the story, if we, re we realize that Moses did not grow up with them. For God to have used Moses, he needed somebody that wouldn't have that mentality of oppression. And that's why God orchestrated it, that Moses grew up in the palace. Because the same mentality that the Israelites had, he didn't have. So he could boldly stand and say, come on, God has spoken to me, let's go. And that is how God brought them out. And the way curious, apprehensive, and then the other thing that I'm sure was going on at the back of their mind is um, curiosity. Apart from being, well, they were, they were apprehensive, they were excited, and the other thing is them being curious. Curious about this land that God has promised. What's it going to look like? The land flowing with milk and honey, they've been told. What does that look like? So a lot of them would have been, they've been asking each other, what do you think it's going to be like? What kind of land is it going to be? I mean, am I going to have my own place? Or, you know, sometimes like kids. And we too can be like that as well. You know, on our journey as Christians. Even though Jesus Christ, who came from heaven, has told us all about heaven, what heaven will be like. And sometimes I wonder what heaven is going to be like. And I can count a number of places in the Bible that Jesus said, heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. So it is a natural thing. They are on the journey, they are looking forward, and they are curious what that land they're going to get to, what it's going to be like. Now, between their deliverance and the promised land, there's the journey. Like I said about my kids, they were excited. They wanted to get to, to that promised land in their own case, but they wanted to take the journey out of it. But the journey is very significant in taking us to that land, to the promised land. 
the journey is very, very important. Because along the way in the journey, that's when we grow. Because what they've just seen, they've witnessed the, the miraculous presence of God. But they're yet to know this God. But along the line of the journey, they start to discover who this God is. And by, <coughs> excuse me, and by so doing, they get closer and closer to God. And likewise, us as well. From the minute we give our life to Christ, we get justified immediately. That's what the Bible says. You're, because what Christ has done, we are justified. But along that line, there is sanctification. And that is the journey. And these Israelites were just embarking on this journey. So, on the way on that journey, they start to discover quite a lot of things about God. So, it was a discovering, a discovering time on this journey. So, the first thing they began to discover about God is that God is faithful and reliable. God keeps to his word. Abraham, he told Abraham this was going to happen. And when the time came, just like he said, like I said, they were not sure is it going to happen, but they just saw it happen. Then they begin to realize this God, God has called us and that is with us on this journey, is faithful and he is reliable. He said he was going to come and rescue them, and he had just rescued them. It's a bit like when Jesus was telling us, telling his disciples he was going to be crucified. But on the third day, he was going to rise up again. The disciples most probably didn't fully get what Jesus Christ was talking about. But on that fateful day, when Mary Magdalene they ran back from the tomb to inform them that he is risen, he is alive. They were in awe. And it was at that time that they fully understood what Christ was talking about. When he was with them, spent those time, all the time, three years they did the ministry together, telling them about, well, this time is going to come, I'm going to get be crucified, and then on the third day, I'm going to rise up again. They didn't fully understand it until it was risen. And that would have increased their faith and their confidence in, in Christ. So Numbers 23 verse 19 says, So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I desire. This is God speaking. That which I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God is faithful to his word. Is there, is, is there a thing, a word has been spoken about you? Like we heard this morning, like Mary brought the word, that, some, you know, that spirit is dormant in us. God is faithful. Has he promised something to us? Is, this, is there something we're waiting on him for? It could have been for years, but he will bring it to pass. As long as God has the one that's promised you and he said this, he will definitely bring it to pass. The, the next thing that they were discovering on this that journey as they journey through all the land into the promised land, is that God is able to provide. It says in verse 36 of the verse that we read now, that the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards people, and they gave them what they asked, asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. 
So we can see that God here, the same people that, that over the I'm sure the, the Egyptians, um, the Israelites would have asked them for things in the past. And they, wouldn't, they probably wouldn't look at them twice, let alone give them what they specifically asked for. But this time around, God is providing for them. On the journey that they were embarking on, he knew there's a lot of things that they would need. And he made provision for it. Before they even set up on that journey. But most times when we talk about provisions, we probably think it's material things. But the God that we serve, and in this case, is not just talking about material things. It's talking about every aspect that you can think about. Physical, spiritual, mental, every aspect of our lives that he will provide for them. Which we will see later in the book of, of, this, um, of Exodus, where God met their physical needs, spiritual needs, and all of that. And God had just demonstrated to them that he will provide for all their needs. Like Philippians 4.19 says, the Lord will provide for all our needs according to his riches in glory. And he's just shown to the Egyptians that he is a God that provides for his people all of their needs. The next thing that the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites, again, we're discovering about this God who has called them out of Egypt is that he wants us to ask him to receive. He wanted to know that in, the, in this new, he wanted them to know that in this new dispensation, now that they've been freed from the land from slavery and from Egypt, that it's all about relationship. For them to be aware, they will need, for them to be aware that they will need to relate with him and with each other. Like he wants us, even now, who are partakers of the real deal, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, to fellowship with him and with each other. To declare his word in prayers. To declare his word over situations that we want to see change. Changes that we desire according to his will. You know, with the fall of Eden, and the fall in Eden, yeah, the fall of Eden came division not only between God, but between God and man. I mean, between mankind, <coughs> man and man. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got this in my throat. That's, I'm trying to clear for a while now. So, <coughs> with that fall came division between God and man, and between mankind. And that's why we could see um, two brothers, one killing the other, just after the fall. Cain and Abel, Cain going against his brother because of that division that was caused by the sin that happened in Eden. But God wanted, wanted them to know, the, Egypt, the Israelites to know that they are under a new dispensation now. He has just delivered them. And he wants them to know that now they've got to relate with, what, with him and with one another in love, which they were incapable of doing prior to that time. And again, to us, particulars of the real deal, he wants us to know that we need to always come to him in prayer, ask him to receive. You know, it's interesting to know that among all the meetings that we have in church, prayer meeting is the least attended. And that's not just Grace Church alone, across most churches all over the world. And it's simply because the enemy knows 
that that is essential. It's very important that when we go before our God and ask, particularly corporately, we will receive that which we ask for. And therefore, he attacks that particular ministry, that particular side of the church. I know we just heard about a prayer meeting tomorrow morning, and we are in our prayer week for two weeks. Come on, let's get down to our knees. When we call on our Father, He hears and He answers. And He wants to hear our voices. That's the truth of the matter. Like He said to them, ask. And they received when they asked. And they thought, some of them would have thought, well, we've asked in the past, they never give it to us anyway, so why should we bother? But this time around, I'm sure they went and said, well, can I have that? And said, yeah, I gave it to them. And what about that other one? What about the one I saw you with? And just take, just take, go, go. But not just material things, like I said, I need to emphasize that. It's much more beyond material things. God supply our needs in every area. But he wants us to ask, come before him on our knees, speaking to him in that relationship, and let that translate to a relationship with one another as well. Let's give to one another. Let's love one another. Let's care for one another. Let's be our neighbor's keeper, like Jesus, I mean, like Jesus said and taught us in the Bible. So the Israelites were just experiencing this, and they were thinking, wow, this is amazing. Matthew 7, 7 chapter 7, verse 7 to 8, it says, They ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's as simple as that. And it's in the Bible, telling us that we need to come. So let's keep on with our prayers more and more. So the Israelites asked, and they received. Then, to the next thing that the Israelites were discovering about this God is that this God is an inclusive God. Verse 38 of the passage we read says, Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With God, no one is disqualified. I just love that. I don't know where, what your background is. I don't know how you came into Christ. Well, perhaps you're yet to, but I'm telling you that this Jesus is the real deal. A lot of, a lot of people here, they know my, my, my background, my history, but I'm sure I was not qualified. I'm not qualified to be, to be among you guys, to be standing here. I was born a Muslim, raised up a Muslim, Taught everything I know how to know about Islam. But one fateful day, I met with him. <laughs> and my life turned upside down. I couldn't get enough. Oh, I just couldn't. And I'm sure you've all got the stories too. Even if you were born into a Christian family. But there's a time that you make that jump. That you realize that this is life. Everything I need can only be found in him. And then he said, well, it's you, Lord. It's you, Lord. And like he was quoted earlier on by, um, yeah, <laughs> Andy. He said, one day every knee will bow. So if you 
do it willingly and enjoy the love of God. But whether people, the whole earth likes it or not, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God is inclusive. He calls everybody in. So Jesus invites everyone to come with his arms open wide, just like the illustration of the prodigal son. As long as you're ready to forsake your old ways of doing things your own way and ready to run to him, having believed that he died for you and paid for your sin and took upon himself the punishment that is due you and rose again on the third day, having defeated sin and death. And now you accept him as your Lord and Savior. Peter, I mean, Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 35, he said, truly, this is after Peter came somewhere and realized, we've never said anything to these guys. And these guys are Gentiles. These guys are not part of the Israelites. He said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God calls everybody in. So the Israelites left Egypt as a mixed multitude. There were other people with them from other nations of the world, with some Egyptians among them as well. I haven't seen what God has done in the land with the, with the ten miraculous plagues. And they loved them, made the jump, and thought, well, the God of Israel shall be our God. We're going to go with you guys. We can see that he is the true God. So, the church of God is a multicolored church, a diverse church. Just look around you. We're all from different, different nations, different shades of color. And that is the church of God. He wants every nation. We sang one of the songs this morning. Every nation singing praise and worshiping this awesome God. Ephesians 2, chapter 12, says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. And that is every one of us here. Apart from maybe, I don't know if there's any Israelites among us here, but that means every single one of us, that's what he's talking about. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to re reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So God did this. We couldn't do it. There's nothing we could have done. All did done for us by God. And he brought everybody together as one to worship him. So God is an inclusive, our God is an inclusive God. There's a clip in the Alpha video that I love that demonstrates this. And in that clip, there was this young man. It was the time of the war. I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was the Second World War or so. And this young man had been to war. And then he heard that his father died at home because his, elder, his elderly father. 
And therefore, there was no other man left in the family to look after that, the family. His mom and his sisters were still very much alive. So, and they had the farm to be farmed. So he was thinking who was going to provide. And you have to remember, we're talking about a long time ago in the 40s. So he was thinking who was going to provide, how he's going to provide for, for the mother and the, the sister. So he came to see the president to try and get an exemption from, from the war. And I, think, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln that was president at the time in the video, so, so the video says anyway. So he went and tried to get into the presence of the, um, of the president to get an access, to be able to get that ex exemption, but there was no way, no way in. There were too many protocols, so many other things, people that president was just too busy. So he was disappointed, obviously, and decided, you know what, I'm just going to sit in the garden there. So he went down, he sat in the garden, and just in front of me, there was just a young boy playing in the garden. And the young boy saw, this, saw his face, and he, he looked unhappy, and he said, what's, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? So he told the boy, the young boy, so what's there to lose anyway, the whole story. Only for the young boy to grab his hand and say, follow me. And he went, back door, special room, downstairs, straight in the presence of the, of the president, because the boy was the son of the president. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He brought him right in there, and the president, oh, oh, son, what do you need? Oh, is this young man, he needs to get an exemption. And that's how he got it. And that is our Lord, our Father. He loves us so much, he gave his son. And through him, we can come to his presence. Anyone, anyone is included. So the other thing that the Israelites, again, start to discover about this God is that the God who watches over them neither sleeps nor slumber. So because the Lord kept vigil that night, verse 42 of the passage we read, it said, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, so they were discovering that God is trustworthy, that they can trust God during the day and at night which means they can trust God also with their sleeps. So they can go to sleep with their minds at rest and not be afraid. I know there are a lot of people that sometimes at night, they just can't sleep, they're just afraid of the dark. And God is saying, listen, I'm the God of everything. He's showing them there. He needed to get them out of Egypt. He kept vigil so that not one of them will be missing, not one of them will be broken. Psalm 9156, popular psalm, Psalm 91 verse 5 and 6 says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So the Israelites are discovering more and more about this God. And so the next thing they discovered again, they're discovering as well, is that the Passover was significant. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, verse 43 to 44 of the passage that we read, that these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. But the temporary resident or hired worker may not eat it. Then to 48 of that same passage, he said, A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the meals in his household circumcised. Then they may take part in 
They may take part like the one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. So the land that the Passover was significant and should not be taken unworthily and that nobody is, but that nobody is excluded as well. Whether Israelites, slaves, or foreigners, but one thing is needful, that whoever wants to partake of it must first separate themselves. There must, there must be a separation from the world, from the ways of the world and its gods, and make the only true God their God, accepting the swap that God has made for them, and declaring him as their Lord and Savior. And when God started with Abraham, he started this journey with Abraham, the first thing he did was separate, separation. He separated him from his family. He said, well, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to display my glory through you. But you're not like the rest of the world. You are going to live according to my precepts, my word. So God called Abraham out of his family. And he said that he was going to make him a nation. And what he was saying is that he's going to plant him as an oak tree, like it says in one of the Isaiahs, an oak tree, planting of the Lord for the display of God's pleasure. So but it said in the Bible that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Genesis 5, 15, 6. And God, to him, Sorry. Well, it was credited to him for, as righteousness. And then, as a sign, God told him to circumcise his family. So the separation was the faith he had in God. And as these people have come from nation, and God has just rescued them, so he's now reminding them of that separation. With this, it was reminding them of the separation that they are meant to be separate from the rest of the world. But what they didn't fully comprehend is that it wasn't physical circumcision that separates them. That the faith in God that Abraham was the separation and to follow after his word, the circumcision was just a sign pointing towards the faith that he had in God. So Moses now later tried to break it down to the Egyptians as they went along on a journey. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses said to them, The Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your hearts and with all your soul and live. Making them realize the separation from the world is not the circumcision. Circumcision was just a sign to show. So the circumcision was there, but it wasn't the real separation from the world. So he tried to make them see that. On the journey, as they embarked on it, for them to remain on track, their hearts need to be circumcised. That is all about their hearts, what they think, what they listen to, what they meditate on, because it's from the heart that everything else flows. It will affect what they say, 
where they spend their quality time, how they relate to others, their friends, colleagues, spouse, children, neighbors, authority, family members, and so on. And that applies to us. As God circumcises us, our heart, it then affects everything else that we do. It affects what we listen to. It affects where we spend our quality time. It affects how we relate to our colleagues, our, our family members, our, our parents, our spouses, our kids. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, is a hard thing. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is what saved them. So when Jesus came, he made it clear to us. He came not just for the Israelites. He made it clear that he came not just for the Israelites, but for the entire world. So that those who are physically circumcised or biological descendants of Abraham, but for everyone else that put that trust in him. Many who believe in him. John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, not to those who were circumcised, to those who believed in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the sacrificial lamb used in the deliverance of the Israelites to set them on a new journey is a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice of his one and only son, Jesus, the unblemished lamb of God who came to deliver the world once and for all and set us on a new journey in him to discover more and more of God and of his love. And as we continue to discover, amongst other things, some of the things that we were discovering for us as well is that God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9, that he has rescued us from being slaves to sin into slaves of righteousness, Romans 6. 17 to 18. He saved us from being slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness to holiness in Christ. Romans 6, 19. And that he has saved us from our miserable selves, which is separation from him, into a wonderful fellowship with him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So as I round up, just as we can see from the passage, that the Israelites had been in bondage for a very long time, so long that they, are, they were almost despairing, almost forgetting who they were. But God, in his infinite mercy, still came and make, made a way for them out of the slavery and set them off on this journey. Likewise, God has offered us and continued to offer us eternal life, no matter our circumstances no matter how big or small our baggages are, to set us on this glorious journey as well of discovering more and more of him. It is a journey, and we are on the journey. As the band comes up, if the band can please come up. As the band starts to play, this is an opportunity for us to run closer to him, whether we are on this journey, God is calling us closer. And that's for every one of us. Whether you're just about to start the journey, which in the case, I'd, I'd like to invite you to come up. If, if, you know, there are people here that want to pray along with you and encourage you on that journey. Just like we've seen the Israelites, how God delivered them. Same way he's delivered us. 
and the opportunity is here for anyone who is ready to make that jump as well. But for us who are already on the journey, whether we've got some miles behind us, God is calling us closer. So what I would like us to do is to call on him right now. If we can, please rise to our feet and start to pray that we get to know him more, that we get to know this God and the love and everything that he has in store for us. I mean, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 says that, that we, Paul was praying, and he said that we may have power together with the, all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and deep the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all understanding, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that is our desire, that we want to be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. So let's call on him as the band play. And if you want to do it for the first time, if you want to pray along with your friends that you came with, your family members, please do so. But if you want to pray, if you want one of the elders to pray along with you or the leaders, please, you can come to the front and they'll happily do that for you. But let's connect this morning. Let's go back. Even as Mary brought that, let's remember who has done this for us. And we are on this journey. For us to be able to get there, we need to remain focused in Him and experience the more the love of God anew.